the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The world is a complicated place. You need someone to expose the political fakers, fixers, and takers, and to cut through the mindless chatter and misdirection to help you make sense of it all. That person is Dan Proft, and this is The Dan Proft Show. Welcome back to The Dan Proft Show. I'm John Hinderocker from Powerline, filling in for Dan tonight. And we are joined now by Mark Bauerlein, professor of English at Emory University, a senior editor at First Things, and author of the book, The Dumbest Generation, How the Digital Age Stupefies Young Americans and Jeopardizes Our Future. Mark, thanks for being on the program. I'm glad to join you. Mark, you have got a uh, piece at American Greatness, uh, the title of which is Conservatives Must Read Marx. And I'll tell you, I read, I read some Marx decades ago. I'd rather get a root canal than have to read Karl Marx again. <laughs> but why don't you, let's jump in and, and tell our, our, our listeners why you, you think conservatives need to pay some attention to Marx. Well, first of all, the conservatives need to read the liberal masters, you know, the the thinkers in the liberal tradition in order to understand what liberals, especially young liberals, are really all about. We've got to know their work better than they do. They don't have to know Hayek. They don't have to know Edmund Burke. They don't need to worry about that because they're going into institutions which are pretty much run by liberals and conservatives thinking simply has no place there, that puts a greater burden on young conservatives. We have to know more than they do if we want to function in these institutions, which, again, they they control. The specific thing about Marx this time is that Karl Marx has a lot of ideas. They've changed the world, and one of them is very important for conservatives to recognize. It's not Marx on private property. It's not Marx on the labor theory of value or commodity fetishism. It is Marx in his discussion of class relations, class consciousness. Now, conservatives don't like this because we don't like class warfare. That's the game the left plays. Well, yes, the left is playing a game of class warfare. They've been doing it all along. Liberals are now doing it, too. They are now looking at conservatives as a distinct group, and they're hitting us economically. You know, class is mostly economically defined, according to Marx. They're hitting us economically. So when they see Tucker Carlson defending Donald Trump's wall, they don't debate Tucker Carlson on his ideas. They don't go after the facts, the evidence. No, they try to boycott and intimidate the people who advertise on his show. They don't debate conservatives over their ideas. They try to get them fired from their jobs for expressing, let's say, a biblical definition of marriage. They're going after us as a class, our economic ground, the pipeline of hiring. And Marx 
is very good in explaining how class warfare works. He defines history as class struggle. That's what it's really about. He understands people as engaged in primarily economic production, economic survival. And this is what the left trades in. They're playing a game on us, and if we don't understand the rules of the game, and if we don't start functioning effectively within that game, well, we're going to see what is happening just getting worse. You make the comment in your your piece here at American Greatness, it's not a culture war, not anymore. There is no common civic ground on which liberals and conservatives meet and hash things out. I I think that's right, and so you're saying it's not a culture war, it's a class war. It's largely about economics. Well, how then do conservatives uh, fight and win a class war? This is the great challenge for us. What do we do? I mean, for, for for the left, everything is political. Everything. Even the bedroom is a political space to the left. Government, controlling government is fundamental to them. Getting office space in institutions, that's what matters to them. We don't think that way. We don't believe politics is is everything. Most conservatives tend to have some kind of transcendence. They get above class relations. We don't want to spend all our time thinking about government. I mean, I've been in academia, and I've seen how the leftists on the faculty, they were very good at getting on committees. These were committees that are, you know, university-wide committees or department committees that most of us didn't want to do. You know, we had our teaching, we had our writing and reading to do over there in the humanities, or we had our labs to, to take care of in the sciences. We didn't want to get caught up in all the personnel issues and policy issues and nuts and bolts of governance within the campus. Well, this is where the left was so good. They're so much better at personnel than conservatives are. I mean, look at Donald Trump. Donald Trump was great in so many ways, but boy, was he terrible at managing personnel in the swamp, within the White House, even, because we we just don't think this way. The left understands institutional politics. They go after little things like how hiring is done. They can insert questions into the hiring process. The rest of us don't even notice until it's already done, such as, We're going to have every candidate for a job in academia have to compose a diversity statement. And answer the question, how will you foster diversity in the university? Now, this is a totally ideological litmus test. If conservatives tell the truth, they don't get hired. Well, the rest of us, we didn't even notice this going on at the time. This was a long march through the institution. While we were writing best-selling books like The Closing of the American Mind, while we were debating on the talk shows and beating the leftists very well, the leftists were getting people onto school boards, onto city councils. They were taking over human resources offices. They were getting to positions of control within the institutions, and now they got it. This is where we are today, and conservatives have to wake up. You can't play this game unless you start thinking in ways of personnel. Now, your question, what do we do? I I don't know. 
I, I, I mean, that's what we're all struggling to do. How can we be effective in battling something that we don't even want to battle? We don't even like to get into this. But, hey, if you care about your kids, if you care about your schools, if you care about your churches and your neighborhoods, if you care about your taxes, if you care about your country, you better start thinking of things to do. And that doesn't mean getting the corporate tax rate lowered two points. Yes, I, I think you're right. I think some of the traditional debates between between liberals and conservatives, I would say they've become moot. I still want lower taxes, but the the scene of battle has shifted. I'll just put it that way. Hey, by the way, you know, the left has always understood bureaucracy, has always understood organizations better than the yeah. right. A classic example of that is Joseph Stalin. You know, he was one of the world's great bureaucrats, and he, and he got himself appointed as General Secretary of the Communist Party of the USSR. And at the time, people didn't realize it was that big a deal. There was like a one-paragraph story in Pravda. You know, Joseph Stalin appointed General Secretary, but what he understood was that from that position, he ultimately could become the ruler of the Soviet Union, and he did, uh, through, you know, basically through bureaucratic uh, means. And uh, there's just there's no such consciousness on the right. No, I mean, I, I quoted one little of uh, one example of Stalin's truisms, you know, he had this he had this kind of wit uh, where he would condense bureaucratic wisdom down. And one piece of wisdom, it's a frightening one, he said, no man, no problem. If you get rid of people, you don't need to worry about their ideas. You don't need to battle a truth if you get rid of the person. I mean, another one, when people asked him, someone asked him how he could bring so many of the great heroes of the revolution of 1917 into the show trials in the 30s and end up convicting them. How, how these, these great heroic historic figures ended up as the ones accused of being enemies of the state and, and you know, executed, bullet to the head. How could you do that, Stalin? And Stalin said, well, of course. It's only the manly, principled, noble ones whom you have to kill. The rest can be bought or intimidated. That's a good manager at work. Yeah, and the line, the Stalin line, no man, no problem. In today's world, it's not so much that the leftists are shooting us, although it could come to that, but, what, but that's cancel culture. You know, you get rid of the person, drive him out of public life, you've gotten rid of the problem. Hey, we got to run to a break. We got to run to a break, Mark, but we are going to be back with more. And I want to talk about your new book as well when we come back after these messages. seat and sharpen your pencils class is in session with professor dan proft and the dan proft show welcome back to the dan proft show we are talking with mark bauerlein professor of english at emory university and a senior editor at first things Mark, you wrote a book about 11 or 12 years ago now called The Dumbest Generation, How the Digital Age Stupefies Young Americans and Jeopardizes Our Future. Rumor has it you are working on a sequel to that book. Uh, tell us about it, please. Well, well 
it, it, I, I sent in the manuscript recently. I'll leave you out with Regnery. But the title is Dangerous Utopians. The Dumbest Generation Grows Up. And the thesis of that book is what happens to a 15-year-old in 2008 who is tied up on the screen, doesn't learn much history, doesn't care much about civics, doesn't read newspapers or read books, for that matter, literature and good music and good art. And that was about the heroes of America. What happens to that kid uh, 13 years later when he's 28 years old and he had such a bright conception of his future? He would walk around with 300 pictures of himself in his pocket and he had a Facebook page with hundreds of friends and he could document his life and the world was all before him, and when he was 30, he was supposed to uh, be, be wealthy and have, uh, have a lot of uh, romantic involvement. And then he finds, oh, my goodness, I'm, I'm 30 years old. I've got kind of a crummy job. I, I do contract work for businesses. I've got some student loan payments to make. I'm, I'm online all the time, but I don't really have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and Things aren't, aren't really working out. These are the ordinary tribulations of adulthood, but they don't have the intellectual equipment to manage these disappointments. They don't go to church. They don't usually come out of strong families. So they don't have really a, a, a meaningful support network. What do they do? They believe that the world should be so much better than it really is. They don't know why there is any suffering. Why isn't everybody happy this is a formula for utopianism we got to eliminate all racism from planet earth we got to eliminate all unhappiness even the unhappiness of human beings who don't like the sexuality of their own biology everyone deserves to be happy we can't judge anybody for anything everyone will be better off if only our vision prevails in the world. This is a utopian faith. This is the woke revolution in place. I mean, it has names. It's racial justice and social justice and, and woke. Uh, Black Lives Matter, elements of that. I mean, elements of Antifa. These are people who are fired up with these totally unrealistic visions of what humanity, of what life in the United States can be all about because they didn't get a good education. They didn't develop decent intellectual habits when they were young. And the mentors, my colleagues, didn't fight it. They didn't tell the kids, get off Facebook and read some Shakespeare. Stop listening to that rap garbage and try a little Mozart for a while instead. George Washington, the most important thing about George Washington is not that he owned slaves. There was something more important that George Washington about George Washington than that. The mentors didn't tell them. It was our fault. I mean, the first sentence of the other book is, what have we done to them? So this is, this is what paying for the tidal wave of screens, social media, Mark Zuckerberg hitting teenagers in the aughts. We're paying for it now with these little monsters who are canceling people, 
who are signing signing up for boycotts and 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 digital mobs and cry bullying. You know, the the, the kids shrieking on the quad. Where's my safe space? This is what we're paying. <laughs> well, and, but you know, I mean, Mark, you talk about the dumbing down of education. It's only getting worse. I mean, I've been writing on Powerline about about this movement to declare that mathematics is racist. And uh, it's terrible to say there's only one right answer to a math problem or a physics problem. And we need ethnomathematics, you know, where the answer all depends. And, and Shakespeare, uh, there's, uh, there's a piece I'm going to write about later in the day about efforts in the public schools to drive Shakespeare out. Shakespeare is white supremacy or you, or one right. one teacher says well I, I i i use marks you know to analyze to analyze shakespeare i mean it's only getting it's only getting worse isn't it what we've seen in the last 10 years is test scores are going down i mean you look at sat reading scores sat writing scores they're going down we've had multiculturalism coming into the high schools and more increasingly down the age ladder, multiculturalism more and more were the results. We see lower reading scores, lower math scores, and here is a very important point. The achievement gap between black and white has stalled for 20 years. It closed significantly in the 70s and 80s and through the 90s. It's been stalled now. We have a, we have a very difficult correlation for the left to accept. The more multicultural, the more culturally sensitive, the more diverse we find the schools getting, the more the achievement gap has frozen. It's not working, you guys. And you keep trying to push things. Do you think that your racialization of math is going to improve math scores? for African-American kids in the inner city? Do do you have any evidence for these experiments? I mean, this is a utopian experiment going on. And they're not interested in the results. They're so taken with the vision that they don't look at the consequences. No, results in general to leftists are irrelevant, you know, other than their own power. Any other result is, you know, immaterial. This is one very important point. There are a lot of people who are taking this to the bank. I mean, Ibram Kendi was paid $20,000 by the Fairfax School District right here, uh, not far from where I live, to give, to give a 45-minute online lecture. And they bought $20,000 worth of his book to hand out to everyone. I mean, Robin DiAngelo, you see the lecture fees? Or the one fragility of whiteness. Look at the lecture fees she's, she's pulling. I mean, you have huge financial incentive right now to be a woke ideologue. That's where the money is right now. If you go into Barnes & Noble, you'll see a woke table, a book right at the entrance. It's all here. All every, Everyone's got whiteness, whiteness. Of course, then when working class whites start to act like a class, as they did with Donald Trump's 2016, well, Donald Trump, even today, that is racism. Yeah, right. We're, we're going to have to hold it there, Mark. Next time I do this show, I'm going to have you back on 
for a dose of optimism because we need to know what in the world we conservatives, <laughs> really we normal Americans can do about some of these trends. Mark Bauerlein, thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you, sir. Political fakers, fixers, and takers. He's Dan Proft, and this is The Dan Proft Show.